The Grim Travelers are approaching Damascus, where they intend to carry out an evil plan. They will tear the hated disciples of Jesus from their homes, bind them, humiliate them, and drag them to Jerusalem to face the wrath of the Sanhedrin. The mob leader named Saul already has blood on his hands. Recently, he watched with approval as fellow zealots stoned to death Stephen, a devout disciple of Jesus. Not content with raging against the followers of Jesus who live in Jerusalem, Saul becomes a firebrand ready to spread the flames of persecution. He wants to eradicate the pestilent sect known as the Way. Supplementary Information from Page 62 Saul the Pharisee The young man called Saul who appears in the Acts account at the stoning of Stephen was from Tarsus. Acts 7.58. It was the capital of the Roman province of Cilicia, in the south of modern-day Turkey. A sizable Jewish community dwelled in that city. According to his own writings, Saul was circumcised the eighth day, out of the family stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born from Hebrews, as respects law, a Pharisee. Philippians 3.5. That was viewed as an impeccable Jewish pedigree. Saul's home was in a large, prosperous trading city, a center of Greek culture. Growing up in Tarsus, Saul knew Greek. It is likely that he would have received his primary education in a Jewish school. Saul learned to be a tent maker, a skill typical of his native area. In all probability, while still a youth, Saul acquired this trade from his father. The Acts account also reveals that Saul was born a Roman citizen. This means that one of his forebears had already acquired that distinction. How Saul's family obtained Roman citizenship is unknown. Whatever the case, that privilege would place them among the social elite of their province. Saul's background and education then gave him a firm foothold in three different cultures, Jewish, Greek, and Roman. Likely, when he was no older than 13, Saul moved 520 miles to Jerusalem to continue his education. In that city, Saul studied at the feet of Gamaliel, a highly esteemed teacher in the Pharisaic tradition. These additional studies, comparable to going to a university today, would consist of instruction in and memorization of both scripture and Jewish oral law. A successful student of Gamaliel would have a promising career before him, and apparently Saul was just such a student. He later wrote, I was making greater progress in Judaism than many of my own age in my race, as I was far more zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Galatians 1.14 Of course, Saul's zeal for Jewish tradition was what turned him into a notorious persecutor of the fledgling Christian congregation. Supplementary Information from page 61 Saul's Mandate in Damascus How did Saul get authority to arrest Christians in a foreign city? The Sanhedrin and the high priest exercised moral authority over Jews everywhere, and the high priest's powers apparently included authority to extradite criminals. Thus, letters from the high priest would elicit the cooperation of the elders of the Damascus synagogues. The Romans, moreover, had granted the Jews the right to manage their own judicial affairs. 
This explains how five times the Jews could inflict forty strokes less one on the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 11.24 The book of 1 Maccabees also mentions a letter written by a Roman consul to Ptolemy VIII of Egypt in 138 BCE that demanded, If any pestilent men have fled to you from their country, Judea, hand them over to Simon the high priest, that he may punish them according to their law. 1 Maccabees 15.21 In 47 BCE, Julius Caesar confirmed the privileges previously granted to the high priest, along with his right to settle any questions that arose over Jewish customs. Returning to the chapter. Paragraphs 3 and 4. Question A. What happened to Saul? Question B. What questions will we consider? Suddenly, a brilliant light engulfs Saul. His traveling companions see the light, but are speechless with shock. Saul, struck blind, collapses. Unable to see, Saul hears a voice from heaven say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Stunned, Saul asks, Who are you, Lord? The answer Saul receives must strike him to the very core. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Acts 9, 3-5 What can we learn from Jesus' initial words to Saul? How can we benefit from reviewing the events surrounding the conversion of Saul? And what lessons can we draw from the way the congregation used the period of peace that settled in after Saul's conversion? Why are you persecuting me? Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Paragraphs 5 and 6. Question. What can we learn from Jesus' words to Saul? When Jesus stopped Saul on the road to Damascus, he did not ask, Why are you persecuting my disciples? As noted previously, he said, Why are you persecuting me? Acts 9.4 Yes, Jesus personally feels the trials experienced by his followers. If you are being oppressed because of your faith in Christ, be assured that both Jehovah and Jesus are aware of your situation. At present, the trial may not be removed. Remember, Jesus watched Saul's involvement in Stephen's death, and he saw Saul drag faithful disciples from their homes in Jerusalem. Yet Jesus did not intervene at that time. Even so, Jehovah through Christ gave Stephen and the other disciples the strength they needed to remain faithful. Paragraph 7. Question. What must you do in order to endure persecution? You too can endure persecution if you do the following. 1. Resolve to remain loyal, come what may. 2. Ask for Jehovah's help. 3. Leave vengeance in Jehovah's hands. 4. Trust that Jehovah will provide you with the strength to endure until he sees fit to remove the trial. Saul, brother, the Lord has sent me forth. Acts chapter 9, verses 6 through 17. Paragraphs 8 and 9. Question. How might Ananias have felt about his assignment? After answering Saul's question, Who are you, Lord? Jesus said to him, Rise and enter into the city, and what you must do will be told you. Acts 9.6 The sightless Saul was led to his lodgings in Damascus, where he fasted and prayed for three days. 
Meanwhile, Jesus spoke about Saul to a disciple in that city, a man named Ananias, who was well reported on by all the Jews dwelling in Damascus. Acts 22.12 Think of the mixed emotions Ananias must have felt. Here, the head of the congregation, the resurrected Jesus Christ, was speaking to him personally, singling him out for a special assignment. What an honor, but what an assignment! When told that he must speak to Saul, Ananias responded, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how many injurious things he did to your holy ones in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to put in bonds all those calling upon your name. Acts 9, 13 and 14. Paragraph 10. Question. What do we learn about Jesus from the way he dealt with Ananias? Jesus did not reprove Ananias for expressing his concern. However, Jesus did provide him with clear direction, and he dignified him by telling him the reason why he wanted him to perform this unusual task. Jesus said of Saul, This man is a chosen vessel to me to bear my name to the nations as well as to kings and the sons of Israel, for I shall show him plainly how many things he must suffer for my name. Acts 9, 15 and 16. Ananias promptly obeyed Jesus. He sought out the persecutor Saul and said to him, Saul, brother, the Lord, the Jesus that appeared to you on the road over which you were coming, has sent me forth in order that you may recover sight and be filled with Holy Spirit. Acts 9.17 Paragraphs 11 and 12 Question What do we learn from the events involving Jesus, Ananias, and Saul? Several facts become evident from the events involving Jesus, Ananias, and Saul. For example, Jesus plays an active role in directing the preaching work, just as he promised he would. Although he does not speak directly to individuals today, Jesus does direct the preaching work by means of the faithful slave class, whom he has now appointed over all his belongings. The slave class, represented by its governing body, sends out publishers, pioneers, and missionaries to find those who want to know more about Christ. As mentioned in the preceding chapter, many of such ones have prayed for guidance and have then been contacted by Jehovah's Witnesses. Ananias obediently accepted an assignment and was blessed. Do you obey the command to bear thorough witness, even if the assignment causes you some apprehension? For some, going from house to house and meeting strangers can cause anxiety. Others find it a challenge to preach to people at their places of business, on the street, or via telephone. Ananias overcame his fear and had the honor of helping Saul receive the Holy Spirit. The footnote reads, As a general rule, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were passed on through the apostles. In this unusual situation, however, it appears that Jesus authorized Ananias to transmit the gifts of the Spirit to his chosen vessel, Saul. After his conversion, Saul was separated for a considerable time from contact with the Twelve Apostles. However, it is likely that he was active throughout that period. So Jesus apparently saw to it that Saul had the power he needed in order to carry out his preaching assignment. End of footnote. Ananias was successful because he trusted Jesus and he viewed Saul as his brother. We can overcome our fears if, like Ananias, we trust that Jesus is directing the preaching work, we have empathy for people, 
and we view even the most intimidating individuals as our potential brothers. He began to preach Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verses 18 through 30. Paragraphs 13 and 14. Question. If you are studying the Bible but are not yet baptized, what can you learn from Saul's example? Saul acted swiftly on what he learned. After he was healed, he submitted to baptism and began associating closely with the disciples in Damascus. But he did more. Immediately in the synagogues, he began to preach Jesus, that this one is the Son of God. Acts 9.20 If you are studying the Bible but are not yet baptized, will you be like Saul and act decisively on what you learn? Granted, Saul witnessed firsthand a miracle performed by Christ and this no doubt helped to motivate him to action. But others also witnessed miracles performed by Jesus. For instance, one group of Pharisees watched as he cured a man's withered hand, and a large number of the Jews in general knew that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Yet many of them remained apathetic, even antagonistic. By contrast, Saul was transformed. Why did Saul respond when others failed to do so? because he feared God more than man, and he deeply appreciated the mercy Christ had shown to him. If you respond similarly, you will let nothing stop you from joining in the preaching work and from becoming qualified for baptism. Paragraphs 15 and 16. Question. What did Saul do in the synagogues, and how did the Jews in Damascus respond? Can you picture the surprise, shock, and anger that must have rippled through the crowds when Saul began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues? Is this not the man that ravaged those in Jerusalem who call upon this name, they asked? Acts 9.21 When explaining his change of heart about Jesus, Saul proved logically that this is the Christ. Acts 9.22 But logic is not a universal key. It cannot unlock every mind shackled by tradition or every heart bound by pride. Still, Saul did not give up. Three years later, the Jews in Damascus were still contending with Saul. Finally, they sought to kill him. When the plot became known, Saul chose the discreet course and left the city by allowing himself to be lowered in a basket through an opening in the city wall. Luke describes those who helped Saul escape that night as being his, Saul's, disciples. This wording seems to indicate that at least some who heard Saul speak in Damascus responded to his preaching and became followers of Christ. Paragraph 17, Question A. In what ways do people respond to Bible truth? Question B. What should we continue to do and why? When you first started to tell your family, friends, and others about the good things you were learning, you may have expected that everyone would accept the sheer logic of Bible truth. Some may have done so, whereas many did not. Indeed, members of your own household may have treated you as an enemy. However, if you continue to improve in your ability to reason from the Scriptures, and if you maintain Christian conduct, even those who oppose you might eventually have a change of heart. Paragraphs 18 and 19. Question A. When Barnabas vouched for Saul, what was the effect? Question B. How can we imitate Barnabas and Saul? When Saul entered Jerusalem, 
the disciples were understandably skeptical of his claims that he was now a disciple. However, when Barnabas vouched for Saul, the apostles accepted him, and he remained with them for a time. Saul was discreet, but he was not ashamed of the good news. He boldly preached in Jerusalem, the very place from which he had launched vicious persecution against the disciples of Jesus Christ. To their horror, the Jews in Jerusalem realized that their champion had defected, and they now sought to kill him. When the brothers detected this, states the account, they brought Saul down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Acts 9.30 Saul submitted to Jesus' direction as expressed through the congregation. Both Saul and the congregation benefited. Notice that Barnabas took the initiative to assist Saul. No doubt this kind act helped to foster the warm friendship that developed between these zealous servants of Jehovah. Do you, like Barnabas, willingly assist new ones in the congregation, working with them in the field service and helping them to progress spiritually? You will be richly rewarded if you do. If you are a new publisher of the good news, do you, like Saul, accept the help that is offered to you? By working along with more experienced publishers, you will improve in your skill in the ministry, your joy will increase, and you will form bonds of friendship that can last a lifetime. Many became believers. Acts chapter 9, verses 31 through 43. Paragraphs 20 and 21. Question. How have God's servants, past and present, made the most of periods of peace? After Saul's conversion and safe departure, the congregation throughout the whole of Judea and Galilee and Samaria entered into a period of peace. Acts 9.31 How did the disciples use this favorable season? The account says that they were being built up. The apostles and other responsible brothers reinforced the faith of the disciples and took the lead as the congregation walked in the fear of Jehovah and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. For example, Peter used the time to strengthen the disciples in the town of Lydda in the plain of Sharon. His efforts caused many who lived in the vicinity to turn to the Lord. Acts 9.32-35 The disciples did not become sidetracked by other pursuits, but exerted themselves caring for one another and preaching the good news. The result was that the congregation kept on multiplying. Toward the end of the twentieth century, Jehovah's Witnesses in many countries entered into a similar period of peace. Regimes that had oppressed God's people for decades suddenly came to an end, and certain bans on the preaching work were eased or lifted. Tens of thousands of witnesses seized the opportunity to preach publicly, with spectacular results. For instance, when Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia received official recognition in 1991, there were fewer than 16,000 kingdom publishers in that country. Just 16 years later, in 2007, more than 150,000 were zealously preaching the good news. Paragraph 22. Question. How can you make the most of the freedom that you possess? Are you making good use of the freedom you possess? If you live in a country that enjoys religious freedom, Satan would love to induce you to pursue material riches, not kingdom interests. Do not be sidetracked. Use productively any periods of relative peace that you may now enjoy. 
view them as opportunities to bear thorough witness and to build up the congregation. Remember, your circumstances can change abruptly. Paragraphs 23 and 24. Question A. What points do we learn from the account involving Tabitha? Question B. What should be our resolve? Consider what happened to a disciple named Tabitha or Dorcas. She lived in Joppa, a town not far from Lydda. This faithful sister used her time and assets wisely, abounding in good deeds and gifts of mercy. Suddenly, though, she fell ill and died. Her death caused great grief among the disciples in Joppa, especially among the widows who had been touched by her kindness. When Peter arrived at the house where her body was being prepared for burial, he performed a miracle unprecedented among the apostles of Jesus Christ. Peter prayed and then raised Tabitha from the dead. Can you imagine the joy of the widows and other disciples when Peter called them back into the room and presented Tabitha to them alive? How these events must have strengthened them for the trials that lay ahead. Understandably, the miracle became known throughout all Joppa, and many became believers on the Lord. Acts 9.36-42 Supplementary Information from page 67 Dorcas, she abounded in good deeds. Dorcas was a member of the Christian congregation in the seaport town of Joppa. Her fellow believers loved her because she abounded in good deeds and gifts of mercy. Acts 9.36 Like many Jews who lived in areas having a mixed Jewish and Gentile population, Dorcas had two names, one Hebrew or Aramaic and the other Greek or Latin. Her Greek name, Dorcas, was rendered Tabitha in Aramaic. Both names mean gazelle. It appears that Dorcas fell sick and suddenly died. As was the custom, her body was washed in preparation for burial. It was laid out in an upper chamber, possibly in her own house. The hot climate of the Middle East required that burials take place either on the day of a person's death or on the next day. The Christians in Joppa had heard that the Apostle Peter was in nearby Lydda. There was enough time for Peter to come to Joppa before Dorcas would have to be buried, since the distance between the two cities was only eleven miles, about a four-hour walk. So the congregation dispatched two men to ask Peter to come without delay. Says one scholar, It was a regular practice in early Judaism to send out emissaries in pairs, in part so that one could validate the testimony of the other. What happened when Peter arrived? The account tells us, They led him up into the upper chamber, and all the widows presented themselves to him weeping and exhibiting many inner garments and outer garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Acts 9.39 Among the factors that endeared Dorcas to the members of her congregation was that she was in the habit of sewing for them. She made tunics, worn next to the body, and cloaks or robes, which were worn over the tunic. Whether Dorcas paid for all the material herself or just provided her labor is not stated. In any case, she was loved for her kindness and gifts of mercy. What Peter saw in that upper chamber must have moved him. This was mourning which was far different from that manifested in the house of Jairus with its noisy, hired mourning women and flute blowers, says scholar Richard Lensky. This was not such artificial mourning as that. It was genuine and heartfelt. 
The fact that no mention is ever made of a husband leads many to conclude that Dorcas was single. When Jesus commissioned his apostles, he gave them power to raise up dead persons. Matthew 10.8 Peter had seen Jesus perform such miracles, including the resurrection of Jairus' daughter, but we have no record prior to this of an apostle performing a resurrection. But now Peter put onlookers out of the upper chamber, and then he prayed earnestly, with the result that Tabitha opened her eyes and sat up. What joy there must have been among the Christians in Joppa when Peter was then able to present to the holy ones and the widows their beloved Dorcas alive. Returning to the chapter. We learn two important points from this heartwarming account involving Tabitha. One, life is fleeting. How vital it is, then, that we make a good name with God while we are able to do so. Two, the resurrection hope is sure. Jehovah noticed the numerous acts of kindness that Tabitha had performed, and he rewarded her. He will remember our hard work and will resurrect us if our life should end before Armageddon. So whether we are currently enduring a troublesome season or are enjoying a period of peace, let us persevere in bearing thorough witness to Christ.